CapsCorner.com, podcast, CapsCorner.com, the source for sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Thursday, February the 8th. Uh, we, I don't can't remember the last time we recorded a podcast that wasn't on a Tuesday or Wednesday, um, but not this week. Uh, because of signing day, it didn't make sense to record a podcast on Tuesday because of the basketball game, it obviously didn't make sense to record a podcast on Wednesday. And so here we are. Um, so yeah, we'll get into both of those events, but not necessarily in that order. Um, as we, uh, you know, go on to a weekend where Virginia might emerge as the number one team in the country, um, which will certainly test, um, I've been talking for a couple weeks now about embracing the now that's going to test, uh, UVA fans is, uh, the self spook. Um, you, you got people obviously saying good things about you and all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's go around and introduce everybody for tonight. Everybody is, uh, David Spence up in Fishersville. How you doing, my friend? I'm feeling pretty dominant, Brad. <laughs> who Dave's on the board at who Dave's on Twitter and Cavs corner also on Twitter Cavs underscore corner. Great place for our end game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, Justin is not with us this evening, uh, because he had, uh, he plays soccer or something on Thursday nights, so he is unable to join the podcast. Uh, Dave brought up dominant because he and uh, and I um, sparred a little bit this morning via text. Uh, it, it seems like after Virginia's uh, win against Florida State that there's a constant refrain, or man, I don't say constant, but a somewhat constant refrain among some aspects of college basketball media. The idea that there are no great teams, there are no dominant teams, um, and and that kind of perturbed Dave a little bit. And I responded with, well, I don't necessarily know if dominant is the right word to describe what UVA is. Uh, really good, possibly great, um, certainly comfortable in its own skin. But then you went back and looked at the numbers, and the last team to go undefeated in ACC play was, was it the 90? 98-99 Duke Blue Devils. The Trajan, yeah, the Trajan Langdon squad. Um, Full of second and, year and, and upperclassmen. Yeah, it was yeah, it wasn't a one and done yeah. group, but they were really good. Uh, be, with their average margin of victory was twenty four and a half, some change in the com- in conference. Yeah, yeah, and that's back round robin stuff. Like that's you know that's not even like unbalanced schedule stuff. Yeah, they beat Virginia by forty plus twice that year. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, whew, forty plus twice. Yeah. Ooh, that just gives me uh the, all the heebie-jeebies. Good time not to have owned this. The right, board right. board. <laughs> good time not to have owned a message board at the time. Um. All right, so let's. Talk, I mean, like, look, it, I, I, I think for as we were kind of talking amongst ourselves during the game, it certainly seemed like um, an opportunity for the Cavaliers to really fall on their face. Right, the opportunity to you're going to go into an environment where you 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 have you still have not won with any regularity. Um, teams in general don't go into that that venue and win uh, with any regularity. Um, and this is a Florida State team that came out. You know, kind of Justin has this whole um, um, methodology, if you will, of how you beat Virginia. Right. You 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 get you get in passing lanes. Uh, you you play as aggressive as you can on defense and offensively. You you get up and down the floor as fast as possible and you take the you shoot threes with confidence quickly in the clock. And for a while, man, they were doing it. <laughs> and I mean, I never, I never got the sense that Virginia was going to lose. Like, I think there were a lot of people in that first half were like, "Oh, here it is. This is what it, this is what it looks like." Uh, what was what was your vibe, and and how did the results sort of change your mind about where that thing went? I mean, my vibe it 
teams like that have, have given us trouble throughout Tony's tenure here. I mean, they're long and athletic, and you know most of the game they were four out and just using their big man to come up and set screens. And look, when you do that with guys who can all drive the drive the ball, and you're hitting your threes, look, it doesn't matter what defense you're playing. That, that's that's tough to defend. And then Florida State defensively was much better. They're just a much better team, as most teams are, defending after a made shot. Um, you know, the pressure doesn't. We were able to get the ball up up the court against their their pressure, but you know it just kind of gets you out of rhythm. It's a little bit more effort. Um, so you know my, my vibe wasn't great, but this team's just different. We talked about it leading into the season. You know, just I'm not trying to say they're better than some of the other versions of Tony's Virginia teams, but personality-wise, there's there's like this wonderful mix of of dudes who don't get up too high, like Devin Hall. I don't think his expression ever changes. Um, then you've got you know Dre coming off the bench with who brings a different a talent you know a talent off the bench you don't see very often. Um, and then you got Todd Jerome who's just you know a serial killer. He's just yeah, that dude's just brutal. Um, and not to sleep on Kyle Guy who is quickly becoming like one. We Virginia's had throughout the program, there, there's been some players that can shoot the ball and can score in bunches. But Kyle, Kyle is right up there with them already as a sophomore. And when you've got a guy who can, in two or three possessions, give a team six points when you only score in the 60s, you know, get 10% of your scoring in two quick possessions. And he's done that several times this year. Um, you can't ever lose confidence in the team. But, you know, it... it it's very becoming of a program not to get down, never, you know, not get out of character, keep doing what they do. And the proof's in the pudding. I mean, that's why you see teams have really good teams that have sustained success. It's believing in your system. And when things get rough, like they were at the end of that first half, it's, you know, not abandoning what you're doing, just do it better. And for the last 25 minutes of that game, they really did. What I thought was not just that they came from 11 points down and that was their greatest deficit of the season. It was, and not even just the defense that they played in that last 9-0-1 to hold Florida State without a field goal for the last nine minutes of a basketball game at their place. Um, I think that one thing you have to appreciate about Florida State is like, look, I understand that Duke was a top five team when they went to Durham. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, take away from that accomplishment to to build something else up. But I do think it's important. Like Florida state's really good in the way that Florida state matches up with UVA, just like UVA used to, you know, really give Louisville problems. And for whatever reason, Carolina always beats Clemson in Travel Hill. Like these things seem to always kind of line up, right? Florida state has guards who are big enough and athletic enough to both defend you hard and also their skilled offensive players, typically. Um, they have enough length, then, to to typically bother you a little bit on the offensive glass. When you're not getting stops, it's going to be really difficult for you with, against them because they're able to set up their pressure. And they're, and they're going to run that more against UVA because right now the idea I, I think a lot of teams are subscribing to is to try to take UVA out of its stuff is to just disrupt, disrupt timing. And I thought Virginia really responded to that. The second half, I thought you did, you could not tell from the way that the guys were playing that they had been down. Um, 
And I think that that is crucial. Like I, I, I know we can get into numbers and we can get into defensive efficiency. We could talk about why this offense is actually better than most people give them credit for. But the long and short of it is mentally, how do you handle the moments? And the thing about this team is that they have a slew of dudes who are just completely nonplussed, right? Like those moments just do not bug them. They don't, they, you know, you might have a guy every once in a while who catches a rebound in the, in the wrong spot and travels. So I'm not saying they're perfect, but I'm saying the way that they handle things feels that way. And like you watch that second half, it was, it was a clinic in how to, to get back in a game, grab the lead and just not let it go. And they, they sort of willed it to, to existence. I, I thought Devin was, <laughs> Devin was really good. And then I found out that he had pneumonia. Yeah. Last week, I mean, which I guess I don't know if you can technically get rid of pneumonia that quickly, but so maybe he still does have it. But I mean, dude went out and balled and he, he I mean, look, we folks sort of bagged him a little bit Saturday, like, oh, you didn't even score. But I mean, you know, he was he, if he had full pneumonia. OK, yeah, I get pneumonia. it. Yeah. And he still played pretty. I mean, like he didn't score, but he was still active. He was still, a, uh, you know, an important piece of the of the of the cog in the wheel, so to speak. I just I, the thing that will impress me most about that game um, and what will sort of reverberate, um, to me at least, through the rest of the regular season is how that kind of effort is what you have to be able to do come tournament time. Now, they've done that in the past, in the recent past, right? Um, how many were they down? Uh, they were down to, to Wilmington. To Wilmington. They were down to Coastal Carolina. Uh, they were down to um, – um, were they down to Belmont? I feel like there was another one when they were down. Maybe a little, but they were down big to Wilmington. Yeah, and so like, so they they they've clearly guys have some of these guys have lived through that, right? But like, that's a tough place to go anyway, and to be down and just completely like you could not tell. Like the one I remember telling people that like when I when you watch Joe Harris shoot, every shot looks exactly the same, right? Like that consistency in his shot was important, and I think that's one of the many reasons why he's a pro. Um. You watch this team, and every game looks the same. Um, they all sort of fall into a similar sort of vein. It doesn't matter who's in foul trouble. doesn't matter who's available. doesn't matter who's doing what. It doesn't matter who's hot, who's cold, um, except for, you know, Ty Jerome late in the game, wetting a J in your face. Um, other than that, I mean, they just sort of continued on, and it's, it's, really, it's really remarkable. And I understand yeah. that for a lot of fans, going into Saturday, game day's in town. They're playing tech. Uh, a team that they just cr- they had crushed on the road earlier this season. Um, the opportunity to play be number one. I mean, the self spook is at a high level. Um, that uh, that that play that weird place where Virginia fans get where they like they want people to love them and talk about them, but at the same time they don't want people to talk about them too much because they don't want to to deal with the expectations. I think these kids are ready for that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a perfect time to have Virginia Tech coming in. I mean, it, it's a team that's going to get their attention anyway, and Maybe not as much as, you know, the rivalry is not as big for us as it is for them, obviously, in basketball. But, look, this team at home is hard to beat regardless of who you are. You get to add game, you know, I think it's a perfect matchup for Saturday. It's a great chance for the team to, you know, to kind of get some of that publicity that everyone's been wanting that they haven't gotten from the national media. Um, at least for an hour on Saturday, they're, they're the focus. And then that evening um, when they come back for the game, so... 
I'm looking forward to it. I mean, game day hasn't been great to us over the years, but you know, it, it looks, look about halfway through that first half set, you know, um, last night, all of a sudden, you know, you had the possibility of, of having a game day where they talked about, well, this is how you beat Virginia. <laughs> Just spread them out and be athletic. And now we're going to get a full day where the talk is at Villanova. It's not Purdue. It, you know, it's Virginia. It, the, the day kind of changed in that last 30 minutes of ball game last night pretty dramatically, especially with uh, Villanova and Purdue falling not long after that game ended. Um, but one thing on the game itself, and I don't know if you noticed it, you know, Ty talks quite a bit, <laughs> you know, and and Kyle, he can get excitable, and we've seen a little bit of that from DeAndre. But last night, did you notice every time they hit a shot, like they were dead silent, their facial expression didn't change? It was... It was like they didn't want to give Florida State something to. It was almost more killer, you know. It, they'd hit a big three, and the team would just kind of run back silently and get on defense. Um, I, I don't know if I just happened to notice it more last night, but it seemed like it was even more clinically, like stomp your throat than normal last night. Just with the, yeah, no big deal. We just hit that three, and now we've cut that lead down to to nothing. And then, you know, tie with the steal. <laughs> Just so many moments in that game last night were fun for me. Um, and not only the resolve coming back, but, you know, Florida State, what do we, I think we got it down to three, and then Florida State stopped us, hit a two, and then we had a bad possession, they hit a three, and they were back up eight after all that energy we expended. And you know, this team just doesn't get rattled. It's It's been a fun, you know, a fun season so far. Um. That's twice now, Dave, that you've referred to them as some sort of killer or killers. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to come up with a name for Ty. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you you, you were the 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 the, the of uh, I didn't pronounce that right. Don't don't email me. Um, you were the the father of the whole uh, Uncle Malcolm thing. So clearly, yeah, you the deserve. It's pretty good though. I got to get people some credit. It's really <laughs> not. I don't, I don't. I hate it. I hate it. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I like Uncle Malcolm better. Um, one thing too that that stood out to me, and I want to I, I, look. I don't think you have to be a like a computer whiz, right, to to dive into the numbers. I think you just need to watch the games, and that to me says a lot about awards, right? I think it's pretty pretty possible, if not likely, at this point that Virginia's not going to have an All ACC guy on the fir- on the first team. Because you could make an argument that Kyle is probably the one who deserves it the most, but then also, too, is he is the best player on his team. Um, I just think that that's, a, that's sort of a weird coincidence, and I know a lot of fans and folks will be kind of fired up about it, but honestly, I think it really – I think it says it, – it, I think it's a compliment to UVA, um, if, if nothing else. But on, in terms of defensive player of the year, I was, I was watching the Carolina – the lead up to the Carolina game, mainly because I thought it started at seven and I heard them talking about Devin Hall. And I, I remember during the game, I think Corey was talking about how he thought that Devin had kind of passed Isaiah in the ACC defensive player of the year race. Now, if the, if the awards still work the way that I believe they do, Virginia can only submit one name for that. Um, and honestly, I don't know how they're going to do that. Um, because both of those guys, I, I realize Zay has had a couple games where either he's been in foul trouble, he was hurt, and Virginia had some really ridiculous defensive um, performances. But and he, and they and he missed parts of those. But I 
I, I really can't tell, and, I, and I'm curious to get your thoughts here, Dave. Like, of the two of them, I, I don't know which is more important. Earlier in the season, especially at the early part of this 15-game winning streak, I would have told you Zay because I remember what was that game where he's just running all over the place and, th- you know, he's throwing his body into the – I mean, it was that one game and it was like he was like all of their energy at once. Yeah. And I and – I, I, like I know exactly which one you're talking about. It was like about. one of the non-conference games, like right before ACC play started. And he basically was like willing them. And then I feel like from that moment on, like I, I don't want to say their season changed because I feel like they were, they had the pieces, but it just kind of clicked. Like I think that's the place where this team became something different. Um, and the same time, like I watched Devin cut off the baseline or or just take take somebody completely out of out of their rhythm, um, and and I can't I can't differentiate individual defensive performance from the sum of the parts because this the they they move together in such a almost poetic sort of way that it's hard to kind of figure out what is what what is what is um determined by individual and what is part of a collective if you had to choose between the two of them to this point in the season where would you go well first off the teams have to submit one guy for offensive player of the year I believe that the well. Let me rephrase. I believe that the way Virginia does it is they submit one name for for certain awards. And the reason I say that is because there was that one year where, um, I believe Darion and a kill. It was no, I think it was Darion and Malcolm. I feel like it was Darion and Malcolm. There were there was a year where there were two of them that were basically you know nip and tuck for defensive player mm-hmm. of the year, and they only they only put forward one name. Um, now maybe those rules have changed. The ACC has obviously changed, tweaked the way that they do all ACC and all that fun stuff. Um, but if you had to, if you if you did have to choose, which way would you? Well, go? A, I would change the rule if that's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about it last night when Corey brought it up. I mean, Devin is really versatile, but yeah, you know, I think you got to give it. I still would go with Zay just because that's what he does. I mean, look at. He rarely he scores a little every now and then, and you know he's kind of up and down with his with his uh, jump shot, but he's still so vital. Like the fact that he doesn't have to score to do what he does, and now Devin doesn't either. But Zay, that's what he's on the floor to do, um, and because the way we play the pack line, especially if you look at when we're playing those playing the wings, whether it's Kyle, Devin, and and Ty, or Dre, Devin, and whoever, um, you know, those we we've done a lot more switching screens with the three big wings this year than we have in the past. And and Zay's kind of he's guarding some, a lot of dudes a lot bigger than him, and then he's he's also guarding you know the pick and pop four. Um, and I don't want to make it a, a lifetime achievement award for him, but it kind of is. Like, look, I love Devin. His his defense this year is outstanding, and his offensive. His shooting change this year is extraordinary. Um, I mean, he's gone from a guy you were just, you know, you wasn't your, I don't know, top two or three option to shoot shoot, shoot a three to now when he shoots it, if it goes, if it misses, I'm like surprised now. Hell, if it hits the rim, I'm a little surprised. Um, but for me, it, it's Zay, but it, it's a wonderful 
I could go for Devin too, but I would just go for Zabe just because of because of versatility he offers us and the fact that we really don't like Mamadi has that size and can do a little bit, and Dre's got a little bit of potential to to do it. But Zay does it so well, and the way he's able to energize the team with his defense is just special. I think too, if if I have to choose between them, I, I hear where you're coming from, and I, and I tend to agree. My my other thing is I think sometimes these awards do end up being a little bit of a lifetime achievement. I think that's somewhat um, difficult to to have it kind of creep in. But, I mean, if you look at Zay's body of work, um, it's, it's super impressive. I think the thing about Devin that it's not just that he's he's guarding guys that are just various sizes. Zay is typically checking dudes who are going to be a little bit taller than him. Um, but... Really, it might come down to 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 the to the numbers of steals or or um, that kind of thing. I, I I am hard pressed to really choose between them, and I don't know how if UVA still does the whole you know submit one name thing. I, I think that would be um, incredibly uh, difficult. Um, yeah, because whoever they submit is going to win it. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> a lock. It's like you know so, they they could put Kyle on there, but people would be like, eh. They um, might just do a team meeting and. My guess is if the team met, Zay's name would go in because Devin has an outside shot to make first team all ACC. That's um, true. Yeah, that's true. Just because they can reward his defense that way. Um, Zay, maybe honorable mention. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing, one more thing before we switch over to um, signing day. Um, I I wonder, I've never, okay, let me, let me back up a step. I am not a big believer in undefeated teams. All right. I covered uh, my first job out of high school. I covered a, uh, excuse me, my first job out of high school. First job. Well, I guess it technically was my first full-time job out of high school, except it was after college. My first full-time job after college was, I was a sports writer um, for the paper, in my hometown and the high school basketball team that year had a special season. They went undefeated um, and they didn't run up against any adversity um, until, um, the, the actual state championship game. And I don't know if, if it was because I was such a, you know, sort you know, greenhorn at that point. Um, and, uh, it just sort of lodged itself into my, my brain. But like, I, I almost, I'm, I am sometimes a believer more often than not that a loss at some every now and then can help you. That being said, the way that this team has played, the way that they have fought through various shades of adversity, uh, the way that they, and, and more often, excuse me, more importantly, the way that they don't seem to be knocked off their um, their their stride simply because something isn't the way it was last game. So, for example, Devin doesn't score against Syracuse, but they get 27 or 29 points off the bench. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, off the bench from from Dre and, and Mamadi and they, and they win. Um, Dre rolls his ankle. Ma- Nigel's suspended. Devin and Mamadi are sick and they win by double digits at home against Louisville. Each one of those games was difficult in its own way, but they still found a way to do it. And I, I guess the question I'm trying to get around to asking you is, do you, will you feel confident going into the postseason if Virginia gets to Brooklyn without having lost a game? In the ACC. Yes. Yes. 
next question. Now, well, <laughs> I mean, is that I mean, is that driven because you want them to continue to win, or is that because no, you think no. that you, you don't you don't really buy the idea that let losing helps? Look, I don't think anything about this team is, is smoke and mirrors. I mean, if this team runs the table the rest of the way, and let's not forget, there's a very good chance by the time they go to Louisville that you know the ACC should be over by then. Um, against a, a Louisville team that is going to be fighting for at least seeding, if not, you know, on the bubble, depending on how they play. Well, they're, they're pretty safely in, but, um, and then, you know, they've got Notre Dame at home and that Notre Dame team is going to be a little different to finish the year. So look, if they win those games, it, <laughs> it's great. They, they, they've lost their West Virginia. I, I think they've, there's probably a game or two. I'm trying to go back through. Like there's a game or two. They maybe should have lost. Um, They've certainly faced adversity and, and overcome it. So, I mean, I think there's a difference between doing what that Duke t- team we talked about did um, versus having a little bit of adversity. That Duke team only had one game they won, that they won by less than 10 points that year in the ACC, um, which is just astronomical. Um, at some point, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a loss just because Tony's so good at taking those things and turning them into teaching moments. Um Maybe that's at Miami, but as long as it's not Saturday, I'm probably okay with it. And I'm okay if they don't lose again, just because I really do, just what you're talking about, this, just the depth of this team, the fact that they, like all Tony teams, they, they, you know, they build their foundation on defense, and they just happen to have a team that's got multiple scoring options that, you know, can step up any night. Um, Personally, I'm waiting for the night where they all step up, and I'm hoping that waits till the NCAA tournament. I mean, this is a team, and I know we've probably talked about it before on other podcasts, but there's going to be a night where we've had some glimpses of it where two or three guys got hot, but there's going to be a night where all those guys are hitting, and they're going to bury someone really good. Um, and then I'll be like, see, dominance is, <laughs> is relative. <laughs> all right, I'm, um, I, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question about a question. And then if you say no, we're going to move on to signing day. Um, being the number one team in the country, all right, we are at a position now where Virginia and has obviously the opportunity on Saturday. They win the game. They're going to be number one in the country. Do you want to talk about that, or do you think that's jinxing it we need to move on? No, I mean, I'll talk about it. I mean, yeah. All right. How much does that mean to you, and what do you think that changes for them? That, that's a much harder question than the first one. I mean, look, I, I think it's cool. Um, I, I think it kind of, it, it's at least a week where you get to say, hey, I guess it does work. Look, we're number one. So it's a week. I get to remind my Hokie fans, they've never been, Hokie friends, they've never been number one in anything. Um, and you have the chance to do it beating Virginia Tech. I think that's the biggest thing for me. Look, not getting it now would suck a lot more <laughs> because would mean what would have ha- what has to happen for us not to be number one now. Um, for the program, it's hard to believe that Virginia hasn't been number one since they lost to Chaminade. Like that's mind blowing to me because they were still good. They went to the Final Four after that, a couple times after that, at least once, maybe twice after that. Um, and they've had some very good teams through the year, and they through the years, you know, some of the early Gillen teams, some of the Jones teams. Some of the later Holland's team, Holland teams. Um, it, I mean, I, I find that more surprising that it's been thirty six years almost 
that's mind blowing to me. So because it's been so long, it's it's got to be important. If we lose, I guess I, I am the jinx, but you know it's it's a big deal for the program at, at least for a week. Uh, but not, not not to be that guy, but the next step for this program can't come until the NCAA tournament. Uh, well, I did. I asked that question for two reasons. One, to make um, me squirm. <laughs> No, no, um, uh, no! Don't sell yourself short, Dave. You're pretty good in the moment. Um, no, I I asked that question one because I wanted you to be the jinx. If it, if there was somebody to be a jinx, I didn't want to be it. But then two, I, I think that your point about the the place where they need to go is is well taken. I will say this: I think it really does help in a potential recruiting situation to be able to say, you know, we hey, we were the number one team in the country and we were there for a few weeks. We need kids like you to help us get to stay there, right? Like we've been, we've been a top five, top ten team, but we need kids like you to help us get to the upper echelon and stay there to to be elite. I think that's a that's a that's a message that could really resonate. I'm I'm really going to be interested to see once re, once hoops recruiting really picks back up after the season, what sort of bump they get on the trail from this. But you, the bigger point is, it doesn't matter until March, and and it's that's somewhat unfair. Um, because they have been so good in the regular season, um, it's funny the the elites conversation, right? To be in that that exclusive club, it's not like the Hall of Fame where they just keep adding dudes every year. Like it's a different thing. Like somebody, you have to really earn your keep to get in there. And in a way, typically somebody has to sort of fall out before you can. Um, I'm not saying that Virginia is going to be a blue blood that's going to start, you know taking a bunch of one and dones, but to be in, a, in the conversation for elite and to start pulling the kind of talent that comes with that, you, you got to You got to have more than, you know, nice regular season records and, and, and ACC championships. You need to win tournaments. And as much as I do think that being number one would be, I mean, obviously it would be a lot of fun. It would be a cool thing for this team because they were not ranked at the beginning of the season in that specific poll. Um, but to, to get there, um, maybe to hold it, be the number one overall seed. I think that that's great. Um, and honestly, that could also help them if they could get the rest of you know the next three weeks plus, right, of being the number one team in the country, and you're going into the into the into the tournament being the number one overall seed. That's a that's a there are several games, right, and then obviously a tournament in Brooklyn to sort of teach you how to handle that, how to carry it. Um, so in a way, I, I, I guess it could be really beneficial, but ultimately, like you said, the, the nuts and bolts of, of perception and, and all that stuff come down to what you do. Do you make the final four? Do you, you make it win a national championship? Um, yeah, I mean, if I could just add one thing on that, I mean, I, 10 year old, you know, 10 years ago, me is kind of tapping me on the shoulder. Um, look, I don't want to make it seem like I'm going to be disappointed I'm going to see what's happened to this program as a, as a bad thing. If they don't make a final four this year, um, I'm talking more national perception and, and where this program, what this program has to do to, to get the respect that many Virginia fans kind of demand are demanding. They get now for me, I, for me as a fan who suffered through many years of bad basketball. Um, look, the only thing I wanted and I, I 10, 15 years ago, I'm sure we all most Virginia fans had this conversation all I was asking for then was a team that went to the NCAA every year and made a special season every now and then. And here we are having multiple special seasons in a very short span of time. So I don't want to sound ungrateful. <laughs> I don't want to sound unhappy. I mean, 
if we have to be Gonzaga and be you know a regular season dynamo for 10, 15 years before we make a Final Four, I'll live with it. Um, but ultimately, the national perception of this program depends on a on the Final Four. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's uh, let's transition over to National Signing Day. What was expected to be a quiet one cert- certainly picked up steam about. Uh, let's see that recruits can start signing letters at seven. So that was at like eight thirty nine o'clock, some in the ballpark. So twelve hours or so earlier um, was when you know things started to to sort of move a little bit. Um, I want to tell an interesting story first before we get into Noah Boykin. I, I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Falmui. Uh, Falmui is a, is obviously a kid that actually signed with UVA, so it's probably more pertinent that we talk about him. But so I was on radio. Um, in Honolulu that afternoon uh, on Wednesday, which quite frankly, like uh, I never expected to be on radio in Honolulu, but there I was. And I said something to the effect of, you know, because the way the host sort of brought in the conversation was that, that Aaron had spurned Hawaii for UVA. And I said, well, it's kind of funny that, that you sort of frame it that way because really over here it's that he, had spurned UVA after committing uh, and then going home and then committing to Hawaii and then ultimately deciding to, si- deciding, deciding to sign with UVA. And that was like news to them. Like he's like, so wait, wait, wait. He, he like, he like backtracked. And for a moment I was like, oh crap, what did I just do? <laughs> but at the same time, um, I found it so sort of the TikTok of, of that and the TikTok of the Boykin thing. Um, uh, apparently, uh, as one friend of mine, a uh, colleague of mine told me specifically, the kid told somebody as he's walking up that it was going to be UVA. I'm, he didn't tell me that. So I, I, I mean, I'm, it's just hearsay, but, um, for them to have been in that fight and apparently for it to be close, um, and then to get, uh, Falmui at the, at the last second, um, it was definitely a lot more lively on Wednesday than I expected. Um, but what's your overall, I don't know, sort of thought about signing day this year. Uh, it, it seemed for a lot of people to be a letdown because it didn't have the same uh, sort of pop that it would every other year. Um, at the end of the day, were you pleased, frustrated? <laughs> I mean, talking about the, the signing day overall, um, it turned out to be a lot different than I thought it would be when they, when they introduced the early signing period. Um, Effectively, I think what we what we've seen is, if you're a lesser program, that early signing period better be where you make your hay, because once the big dogs know who they've got in the fold and who's left, there's you know there were the offers being thrown out like within 24 hours of signing day, and kids who had no interest in these big schools all of a sudden getting 10 or 15 offers in a week. It was like, you know, the blood was in the water. I mean, the, the sharks were feeding it. It was, I didn't, like, maybe I should have realized that was going to happen, but I didn't. And it was pretty, pretty fascinating to watch. I mean, it, it's almost, it's probably an advantage for the bigger schools. A lot more, I thought the early signing period would be an advantage for the smaller schools, but I, I think the bigger schools, as usual, <laughs> are, are going to get, get the advantage because now, now they can they can hone in on a few guys, and God forbid you don't sign early because you know 
the staff, if you are committed somewhere and don't sign, the staff's going to spend so much time trying to keep you, they're not going to be able to go after other guys. So it's an interesting dynamic, and I, I guarantee you there's a lot of coaching staffs and recruiting offices and 800 recruiting people they have working there, figuring, you know, adjusting their, their plan for next year based on what they learned this year. Um, as far as Virginia specific, um, the Boykin thing, I mean, it was disappointing, but I mean, I didn't really think he wasn't really in play until the last day or two beforehand. So you can be disappointed, but in the grand scheme of things, the fact they were able to get, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, but <laughs> the chance they were able to get him, get him back after he decommitted. Um, I think given the team's needs, that's, Look, look, Boykin is a, would have been their first four-star guy from a, from an area we you know from the Northern Virginia, uh, sorry, the DMV, um, from an area we need to get some more traction in, and obviously a dynamic talent. He would have been a great pickup, but for immediate team needs, adding a piece on the defensive line that they liked enough to offer, um, and you know, getting one more fingerprint in Hawaii and in the Polynesian culture. It, is good, so I don't think you can poo-poo that. Um, you know, so we're just talking about <laughs> what happened between sign and days. That's about all I got to say about it. The, the whole class as a whole, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, let's. Yeah, I want to dig into this for a second. So I thought it was interesting. I asked Bronco that question about you know any lessons that he learned, and I think he sort of took away the same sort of uh, angle that you were just describing, right? That if if you're not a blue blood sort of powerhouse program, you're going to have to do a lot of your early lifting in the fall. I mean, excuse me, in the early period. Um, I, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or on, on various radio appearances, but had Jalen Baker not signed early, had uh, Ugo Obasi not signed early, had Tavares Kelly not signed early, and UVA got all three of those guys on Wednesday, it would have felt, right, dramatically different. But the fact is they were able to get those guys. Woody Womack, who is our one of our Southeast uh, recruiting analysts, told me that Baker would have had you know, a couple dozen offers had he waited. Um, so that does, I, I think, in some ways take the sting out of losing Boykin because Baker, I think, has that sort of um, potential. Maybe, maybe not realized potential now, right? But definitely has that sort of potential long term. I think that ultimately... One of the lessons of of early signing day, and the and this in this cycle, you're right. I think schools are are Bronco talked about this. The idea of early, right? Everything's earlier, 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 because you have to get in with those kids early. You have to build the relationships early because you have to be in a position to be able to get them locked up early. Because without that, you can't fend off anybody who who else who comes after them. Um, and you're right. The the number of offers that came out not just after the early signing day, but like within maybe two or three days before it, because all they were morning doing of. I mean, morning of, yeah, morning you're, of you're essentially trying to get guys to just woe up on their process. That's going to be a thing to watch too. I, I think schools like Virginia are going to have to do, maybe you leave three, four slots, but you certainly can't go into what normal signing day is and expect that you're going to address needs. Now, Virginia did luck out here because they got Apple field, uh, as well as um, Micah and Aaron. And both of those guys helped them in the trenches, which is the one spot that they had to have. Um, had Miami not offered Jordan Miller, he, they'd have had him too. Um, you're going to have to start addressing your needs in the early signing period. 
and you're going to have to do it with regularity. And so everything gets moved up. Um, and I think coaches have sort of fallen back f- for a long time. They do a lot of their heavy lifting in the spring, summer. They can't do as much during the season because they're knee deep in the season. You might bring some kids in for an official, but you're not able to do the kind of stuff then that you normally get to do. But a lot of that's going to change. You're not going to have the several weeks of run up to be able to do in homes and, you know, have them take officials. You're going to have, and like kids don't really want to take visits during the season. Like it's the time that makes the most sense from a football standpoint because you get to see the team play and you get to be on campus like when they when the games are and you get to hang out with the team you know you get to see what they go through but like realistically those kids have games too like they don't want to leave for an official visit you know after their game on friday night you know get to this get to the city that either late late that evening or the next day and then essentially burn an official visit for you know 36 hours or so um so I feel like, in a way, some schools are going to have to change what they do. I think schools are going to have to offer earlier. I wonder how much that's going to play into like missed um, evaluations on players. Like when coaches don't get to see as much film, when they don't get to see as many in-person um, scouts. Like, how it, it, are they going to offer kids? And then it, are you, you going to see more situations of pulling offers, or you know, going in, you know two sides going in opposite directions? Um, I'm not sure. That's a that's a very real possibility, right? Because coaches are going to have to evaluate kids when they're younger, maybe a little less mature, a little less developed. Um, I just think that there's a lot of things that's, that especially the smaller schools are going to have to deal with. Um, the larger schools are going to be able to swoop in just like they sort of always have been and steal some kids. Um, I think that's just a fact of the matter. But realistically yeah, – No, go ahead. Uh, from the recruit – stepping out from the coach's perspective – there were several situations where, you know, the recruits are going to have to reassess how they want to handle this too, because, you know, just look at DJ Brown. I mean, look, he was hoping for a Notre Dame offer. He got it initially and then it got pulled. Then he got it back, committed to Notre Dame, signed with Notre Dame. And then what, an hour later, they took a commitment for Boykin at the same position. Um, So, you know, there's going to be some, and Brown's probably fine with it, but there's going to be, there's going to be situations like that where you get that offer late in the process and it slows you down. And then someone's going to end up not getting that offer when the real signing day rolls around. Um, and that's just the nature of the beast. And it, it's look, at this point, one year in, I'm very skeptical that it's, this thing is going to improve, be, be what they hoped it would be for college football. Um, like moving the Tom frame up, you know, for for the for the elites, they're they're gonna love it. But for the for the programs that do it the right way and don't necessarily have the status and are trying to compete against those guys, I think it's it's just gonna create a larger the larger spread and the talent gap out there. Um, and I never would have anticipated that when they announced this decision. So yeah, it it, it was pretty. It's still a little eye opening for me. Yeah. Um, one thing I was in, one thing I was interested to to hear Bronco say was that he had not heard at the coaches' convention much pushback on the timing because there was some. He remember early he thought like when you're trying to get ready for a bowl game and doing this it, it was tough, but then he said you know as as I guess as the coaches met that like that wasn't really a thing. I think that the reason it'll stick, it one I don't think you can put it back in the bottle. 
Um, but I do think it'll stick because ultimately what it does do is it takes a bunch of kids who have made decisions and allows them to move on um, with their high school careers without having to worry about um, recruiting. It, it firms up for those kids. And this is the underrated angle and the thing I wished that like people from Rivals talked more about. Um, they're always, you know, I think we do a good job of kind of talking about it from the kids' perspective, but we don't, I didn't see enough of like our national guys talking about how it, what it does do is it allows a, a kid to know 100% if this offer is legit and if I can take it. Because if I can't, I have some time now to actually put together my recruitment that I haven't actually picked up in six or eight months. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like, for a kid who, you know, because, like, if you think about it, we always would see those stories, you know, in mid to late January of these kids who are getting dumped, right? That so-and-so now, you know, up had his offer pulled because what happened, that big school that wanted you then now has an opportunity to get this other kid. Um, At least now there is somewhat protection for that, which means that, like, if you have an offer, you can go to sign it, and if they won't let you sign it, they don't send you your paperwork to sign that day, you know that's not legit. This, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I don't like that it's a little bit later. Um, and I understand that a lot of the national guys, I think, took up the mindset of, well, now kids are going to sign when they could have had other opportunities, right? That they're going to sign early um, because they're being strong-armed by coaches or they're being pushed by folks around them. Um, the way I think this thing played out is probably the way it should have, which is that the folks who could go other places did – the folks who could sign early did. And so I think what you'll have next year, if they're, you know, assuming that the there are no kind of calendar changes per se, is you'll have the same number, uh, you'll have kind of the same number of kids who wait. There'll be like two groups, right? There'll be the elite kids who know that they can wait because these schools, these offers are going to be there and they are genuinely not sure and they need visits uh, and they want to take them after their seasons are done. And then this group of like, essentially diamonds in the rough who essentially have had very little recruitments. Maybe they blew up their senior year. They sprouted up, they changed physically, um, or they just had to get, they happened to, to catch the right coach's eye. And then the dominoes started falling. I don't think those guys in the middle, those guys should sign because they have those options. They've known about those options. They've, they've taken those summer visits. They've gone to camps. They're ready to be done. So I like the idea of having it early. I almost wonder if it wouldn't be better if that early period was earlier, like if you could sign in like August, um, because then you could still handle a lot of the kids who make early decisions and you'd still have kids who could, you know, then take visits and you wouldn't, you wouldn't feel like as a coach that you were pushing so hard to get them all done right there at the end of the season. But to Broncos point earlier, excuse me, yesterday is like it, everything is earlier, earlier, earlier. So if you move that signing day from December to August, well, now you got an even bigger problem because now everything has to move up another four months when it already had to move up. Yeah, plus, yeah, then you got kids who start in their senior year signed somewhere. Then you get to, are they going to keep their grades up? How are we going to monitor it? Can we, can we actually admit them to sign them? Um, yeah, I mean, that's true. You at least, at least, it's tough. Yeah, at least yeah. now you, you do get a sense of like some sort of trajectory um, through, the, through that semester. Um, let's talk about UVA's class in general. Um, needs wise, I think they did a, a pretty decent job. I thought that they got an extra defensive tackle, which they desperately needed, probably needed one more. Um, wouldn't have been against them getting another offensive lineman, um, maybe a wide receiver, but there weren't a whole lot of holes other than 
that they had as many signees from the from the state of Hawaii as they did from the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I'm going to beat that drum a lot. Um, when people talk to me about recruiting, when people talk to me about, you know, how do I think Bronco and his staff are doing, that's going to be a thing. They lucked – I don't want to say they lucked out. They worked themselves out of a hole in the sense that they had two kids on campus – excuse me, on grounds, don't, don't at me. Um, two kids on grounds, position of need, got commitments from both of them. Within days, those two kids went home and, and essentially committed to in-state schools. Um, you, I understand where Bronco was coming from yesterday. His comments essentially were that his, rea- his response, the response that the coaches got on the trail was much better the further away from home they were. So folks who were, you know, a long ways away thought Virginia was doing a really good job and making some nice headway this season. Uh, folks closer to home, a little bit more skeptical, want to see more results. That makes sense to me because I, I, I thought it was interesting, like, later in the London years, you would see, like, these kids who had, like, some connections to UVA were deciding to go elsewhere, where kids out of state were deciding to come to UVA. The value of UVA to folks away from the state seems to over be to be higher valued uh than it is for the kids who are i guess more local and so bronco you know made a point to say that he spent more time in high schools um, because they didn't have as many um slots to fill um but ultimately i think this class does a a a number of i mean it gets playmakers in the pipeline Uh, i thought they did really well at, at wide receiver even without uh, DJ Brown. I think it's a pretty good DB class. I think they probably they probably could have added another cornerback, um, but ultimately, given some of the you know some of the, the the balls they have in the air on the roster, I can understand why getting a kid that maybe was good enough to play f- now didn't necessarily work out for him. Um, what are some of your takeaways from the class day? What what makes you what gives you the warmer and fuzzies and what 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 uh what makes you want to drive you to drinking? I'm just open another one. Um, no, it's a. Uh, I don't want to pull out a flamethrower here, but I mean, because I think you have to you have to you can't judge this class by no offense, but you can't judge it by the rivals rankings because if you did that, these are two back to back. Throw away the first class. He was here so late. I, I think you can give him a pass on that one. That was basically London's class. But this is two classes in a row that have A, lacked Virginia talent, B, lacked a four-star or higher, and C, been very low three-star driven. Um, however, as Justin did in that piece he did a little while ago, if you look at last year's class, that is a slightly better from a rivals ranking than this year's class. Um couple more 5.7 three-star guys about 15 or so of those guys have already shown there can be contributors and that's that's a pretty good percentage and, and speaks highly to the staff's ability to to identify talent that they need in their scheme um, you know it, it's if you know what you need a guy for you can look for those tangibles you can coach them to, to do one thing like with the like they did with Snowden last year you know and and some other players but I don't think, as you pointed out, I've never been a guy who thinks 75% of our class needs to be from the state of Virginia. But you've got to have a decent percentage. Whether that's 35 or 50, we can argue that. But the amount of work, 
every year that you have two or three guys come from the state of Virginia, it makes it that much harder to add to get to that number the following year because guys are going to go where they know people, especially if they're going to stay home and not go experience something new. They want to be with guys they know. Um, when, when Virginia Tech continues, like, look, they're probably not getting as many in-state guys as they like either, but they're getting significantly more than we, we are. Um, so when you have players at, at an in-state school, that means you've got coaches going to see their players play. That means they're bringing current players with them to go to that college and see their guys play. And you're just, you just continue to stack on relationships. Um, so every year you, you kind of miss the mark with that. You're putting yourself another step back. So like, I, I appreciate some, I like a lot of the guys in this class. So don't take it as the, I think the class is terrible. But, but I think there's some red flags that this staff's got to figure out, A, you know, what can we do better to, to secure some guys in state, even if it means taking the guy that maybe is borderline or you know, maybe a, a lower-ranked guy. Like, I know that's terrible. You've got to build relationships somehow. Um, and then the, the other thing I think they need to do is like, it needs to be a focus. It, it should not be it should not be this difficult to recruit in state. Um, but now look at this class of 2019. I mean, here it's a new chance. And if there's a guy in state, I, I thought maybe fit the profile for what we're looking for. He just committed to tech today. I mean, <laughs> a guy, you know, and Jesse Hansen, who, who I liked a lot for Virginia, who was very high on Virginia early on. I mean, he committed a year before signing day, essentially, you know, in state to Virginia tech. So that's one more guy off the board. Um, but you have to face it. I mean, this class, this class of 2019, look, we, we've talked about it in the past couple of years where these guys can maybe re remember Virginia beating Virginia Tech. These guys can't. <laughs> and that's just the fact. So these, the, the staff has a tough, a tough road to climb. And, and I think maybe it, I, I think it's time to consider some adjustments either in recruiting territories or or recruiting, um, that's what I'm looking for, um, efforts as far as how much time we're spending in the state to try to make those relationships better because you can't depend on out-of-state to make yourself good, you know, to make to elevate your program. It's a nice place to go and add talent, um, but, but you can't build it that way just because of the amount of time it takes to make those relationships. Um, and then things happen like you saw with Miller and with, <laughs> the Hawaiian kid when he when he went home, there's pressures at home to stay at homes. Um, so it, it just makes your job tougher. So it, it's going to be interesting to see if the staff who firmly believes and look, I'm saying the staff, but Bronco kind of calls the shots. Um, the staff is very, you know, very by the book. You know, Bronco Bronco's got plans for everything. You know, what will they do to to adjust it? So I'm glad he brought it up. I'm glad to hear what he has to say, but now it's time to, to make some steps to improve it. I think one thing that's that's important on this this sort of topic is I, I don't get the sense that they are all right, we're not we're not having any success in state. We're gonna put our resources out of state. I, I think some people do think about it that way that because they're having more success on out with out of state kids that for some reason that also means that they're diverting more resources. I mean, it does make sense that out of state is, you know, more travel, what have you. But a lot of this stuff is happening on referral. A lot of this is coming from 
coaches who who know a guy who know a guy kind of situations, right? Um, I think the thing is is that to Bronco's point about the the kind of um, reception he was getting about Virginia's kind of turnaround this year, the closer you are to something, the more you see the warts. And folks who are in state saw Virginia get a bunch of really highly rated kids and then for all intents and purposes, those kids have, have done well for themselves, but as a team it didn't didn't do anything, right? Didn't didn't move the needle and certainly didn't, you know, save Mike Lennon's job. Um so it makes sense that they are skeptical. It makes sense, especially considering that the, these guys came in without any sort of real connections on this coast. Um I think the only way to do to do sort of what you were describing about kind of recruiting better in state is to have more success. Um, I think that's really the only way it's going to happen. And because that's, that's the proof, right? That's essentially they didn't go like with Mike when they hired Mike London, they went with a known personable youngish kind of coach who had ties to this area, to the state. When they went with Bronco, they went with a guy with a proven track record of success who could, who could, handle transition and rebuild right well it's kind of like tony bennett trying to recruit when his when his teams weren't were kind of sputtering at the end of the season versus when they were winning the acc tournament right Uh, or an acc regular season like you have to sort of be who you are in order for for the benefit of who you are to work for you and so without that success i feel like that's going to have to be a thing like he's essentially going to have to win with the out-of-state kids for another year. And then I think that's where the rubber meets the road. If they're able to have a successful season this year, I think then the kids, because then the kids they're recruiting their experience with UVA on the recruiting trail has been two bowl seasons, new staff, they're building momentum. That's a different sort of thing than even it is for, especially these kids in 2018. Yeah. I mean, there's some truth to that, but here's the counter argument. Um, like London had some really great classes when he first started, especially right. But if, as a state and state guy, but they didn't touch how good Al Groves were, and Al Groves had no, you know, he going to Virginia, but he had been. But Al Groves had NFL pedigree. He did, and he, he and did, he, but, and he yeah, had it. He didn't have relationships, but well, but he also yeah, had, he but did. he also had he Mike did. London on his staff. Yeah, and, he, and yeah, he did, and he but, had, uh, and he had Mike Grow on his staff, and he had uh, various other pieces. Of you know Danny Rocco on that staff, so Gro yeah, had the NFL pedigree, and he was able to go into schools with coaches who knew the areas, who knew the people that they needed to know. And I think that yeah. ultimately that is the dream hire: is that you bring in a head 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 man who has something that he can immediately sell. Like Bronco has success, right? But like, what does what does BYU going to a bunch of bowl games in a row really mean for a kid? From LC Bird, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I don't disagree with your point. My point was, you know, Grow hadn't been in state, but he put guys on his staff who had. London had been in state. He had that advantage. Bron- there was nothing to keep Bronco from building a staff from in state. He chose not to. So he's not going to – he's got a tougher road to hoe than Mike and Al did because they both got a huge bump in the first couple of full classes they had just by being the new guy, being able to sell a new vision. Bronco can sell a new vision, but he's also having to create relationships with an other, with everyone other than Marcus Hagens and then Ruffin McNeil to some extent. But you know, Ruffin wasn't, you know, didn't produce that many great recruits. So it, it's just one more, one more thing against Bronco 
being able to turn this thing around is he didn't get that let us prove it to you, you know, don't wait for us to prove it to you, just believe in us, help us, and then having that talent on the roster to continue to improve. Um, so Broncos having to do it with with guys he can find that that buy into it that aren't as highly rated as the ones London and Grow were able to get. And let's not throw it all on Bronco. When Grow was here, the McHugh Center was a lot closer to being an elite facility than it is now. Um, they're in the same building Grow was. I mean, and Virginia Tech is putting money into their program. So there's also a buy-in that's got to be made from from the you know, from donors and from other people. So and I don't want to get into that argument tonight, but there's just a lot stacked against them. So we're going to, as a fan of the program, we have to, I have to hope that Broncos talent identification that we saw some hints of last year with the high percentage of, of kind of unheralded recruits doing well. If we see that again, we have hope. If not, it's, it's a much deeper hole. Well, I think that's a, uh, uh, a good Yes, no, no, no. I think it's a no. It's a it's a good discussion, <laughs> and it's certainly something we're going to continue to talk about. Um, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. Uh, if you are someone who um, who subscribes to the website and listens to us on various uh, podcast services, feel free to to pop in there and uh, give us some some love, give us some reviews. Um, you might not know it or not, but that actually helps the uh, the podcast get some um, get some traction. Um, I've never thought of that until I was listening to another podcast the other day and they were talking about it. I was like, Oh, I guess maybe at the end of the show, I should probably, you know, ask people to go give us, you know, a review or five stars. What's up? Um, also if you're somebody, I, this is a phenomenon that is fairly new to me, but I, cause I always thought of the podcast as being a thing that was for the website. But if you are someone who's listening to the podcast and you're not actually a subscriber at Cats Corner, um, that in, you know, that kind of discussion is, is sort of the thing. Uh, we try to have on the board. There's definitely, <laughs> there's definitely some characters who uh, who will hijack threads and whatnot. But um, you know, we for folks who might not know what we do, we 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 cover we cover the teams. We go to the games. We are um, on the ground uh, right now. We've got a breakdown of key takeaways from from Broncos uh, press conference as well as you know a live sort of thread as it happened. We we do game previews for basketball and football. We do power rankings for basketball, which are out this afternoon, and then. This weekend, hopefully, we'll have a, a list for uh, visitors. It should be a, a nice big junior day, uh, as well as um, uh, our preview of, uh, of the Tech game. So if you aren't a member at Cavs Corner, give us a look. Um, but again, want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. Thanks to Dave for giving graciously of his time. Hopefully, we'll have Ferber back uh, next week. So for David Spence, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.